Welcome to Take Game Report. We had a great discussion this time with Igan Atoyan of Hybrid. One cannot say too much about the strength of the team here, given the experiences and the road covered over the years. There are tons of useful points here on co-founder relations, team building, and of course the deep tech product that is Hybrid. It all plays to the strength of the Armenian ecosystem, so expecting great things from Tigran and the team. Welcome and enjoy the show. Hi Tigran, nice uh, talking to you, nice to connect. Um, we have a lot of interesting uh, topics to cover here today. We're going to talk about hybrid, of course, but uh, let's start with some backgrounds, right? Uh, so people, for obvious reasons, don't like talking about uh, themselves and self-promo and so on, but you know, I'm going to force you to it anyhow. Um, do you mention what your, your background? I mean, you have a very impressive, uh, you've covered a lot of impressive, uh, you know, experiences. Do mention education and professional, you know, career and so on. Uh, I, I know all of this myself, but you know, a lot of people might not might not be as privileged. Uh, yeah, of course, uh, and also thanks for having me, uh, Samson. Good speak uh, once again. Uh, so background wise, uh, so I was born in Armenia and it was a Soviet Union still. Uh, we moved pretty early on, so I spent about eight years in Armenia. Um, about like five, six years, um, like in, in Germany, Ireland, and then we finally, my, my father's a physicist, so we used to move with his job, and then we, we ended up in Canada when I was a teenager. Uh, spent 10 years there, uh, did my undergrad master's at McGill, uh, started off in physics, moved to math, did my master's in stats, and then moved to, to the UK, uh, did a PhD in probability theory at Oxford. So kind of like, uh, I wasn't really aiming at any specific career. I was just looking at various kind of technical things that interested me. And uh, in the end, when I finished my PhD, I just realized I wasn't, I was considering academia, but uh, uh, the PhD was sponsored by a, by a hedge fund called Nanku. And that got me into the whole area of trading, which seemed quite a fascinating question itself. Like why are prices the way they are and like what influences them. So I got into a job of uh, systematic trading uh, one year in Geneva and then moved to kind of more discretionary kind of, a, you know, Wolf of Wall Street kind of Bloomberg type of trading environment uh, a couple of years later to build out their more systematized components. So overall, I did five years in, in trading. Uh, and this was in as something you've You've, you've been in the markets yourself. So it's macro, uh, not equities for people. So it's not stocks, but like currencies and interest rate products and credit, uh, and also like stock index, but not any single stocks. So some people came and asked me like, you know, should I buy this, buy this stock or that stock? And I had no clue. Um, so, um, that was until 2020. And then, um, when I was in the trading, uh, area, I, I was also building some products for the team internally. And these products were meant to help make sense of all the data sources that are kind of, uh, non-standard data sources to, to facilitate some trading decisions. And I enjoyed that part actually more than the trading. So I decided instead of like staying in trading, why don't I build or try to help, you know, uh, build something, um, and got into uh, basically, you know, met this startup. They, they wanted to build exactly the kind of thing I'd built in house, became a co-founder, 
uh, was first experience in in tech startups. Uh, moved to a bigger firm. Afterwards, it was quite difficult to get funding for for that project. So, moved to a bigger firm, uh, ran the research, and then finally in April uh, started a new company, completely out of finance, outside of finance. Uh, which maybe I'll, I'll talk later about, but it's, it has nothing to do with trading, but a longer standing passion around uh, knowledge transfer. Yeah, that's very nice. For anyone that doesn't know what uh, hedge fund is, this was really hot uh, 20 years ago when, you know, um, when mo most of the smartest people went, went to, those space, to that space. Uh, and, you know, you, you started talking a bit about your kind of to the, towards entrepreneurship. I mean, uh, how you, how you move to that arena? So, what kind of motivated you? Because uh, you know, career-wise and so on. I mean, it's, you had a fairly good outlook. But what what were the trade-offs you considered in the, with the entrepreneurship kind of hmm. option? So, actually, the first time I considered entrepreneurship was before I even did the PhD. So, when I finished my my master's, uh, one of my friends uh, from uh, from the master's. Uh, basically my, my best friend in Montreal at the time, like he had gotten into data science uh, and we were thinking around like, what what can we do like, that's of interest? Uh, but I had no clue on what, what kind of product I wanted to do. I just wanted, I knew I wanted, I cared about, you know, certain gaps of knowledge that I saw uh, and I wanted to build something, but I, I didn't think of entrepreneurship as like a make, a way to make money or like it was just i wanted to build something uh and i had no clue what to build so i said okay let me just do a phd and so i got into that route and then got into finance and yada yada and then uh the funny thing is i reconnected with the same friend now so he's part of the core team at the startup uh 10 12 years ago uh say 10 12 years after so i went one route he went another so he became the first data scientist of montreal at Shopify and uh, actually did financially very well. At Shopify went uh, 100x uh, after after he joined. So um, so kind of uh, this whole like doing the startup thing was maybe in early stages already, kind of like something in, in the back of mind. But I I'm quite conservative in certain ways. So I, I didn't just want to do a startup for doing startup. I just wanted to have some good understanding of what I want to do. Um, and then the other side I mentioned, I think before the, we started the chat, my brother also did a startup uh, right after his PhD. So his PhD was much more hard tech stuff. So he did a PhD in nuclear fusion uh, and then did a, has been doing a green tech startup. So you know, I've been in touch with him, obviously, with what he's doing. And the final component, I think, would be that you know people in my family, like uh, my cousins and whatnot, they, they're all doing their own business. So for me, that was quite appealing like be somewhat independent and do do things you kind of you like but that's not enough of a reason i think for me uh, to jump shit yeah so i don't know if that answers the question but that was kind of like this no, that's, whole, that's like, very impressive i would have a hard time kind of spelling spelling nuclear fusion so anyhow uh, and uh you know well it's not uh, impressive about me it's not yeah, well, you you come from a you know a very strong family. It seems with um, physicists and you know, nuclear nuclear physicists as well. And my, I guess this question is uh, related to, and um, you probably come across this a lot. Uh, you know, uh, what, what kind of drew you back to Armenia, right? You you 
who had a very good career in London, and you know, a lot of people would dream about coming half as far. Uh, what, what was the attraction here, and what, why was this a kind of I don't know a, a, an option to consider from your point of view? It's uh, actually a good question. So, uh, as I said, I, I was born in Armenia. I always spoke Armenian at home, so it's my first language. So we we kept that you know tradition, even though I've grown up in the West. Um, my connection with Armenia kind of increased to a, probably a large degree when 2020 happened. I, I don't think I'm the only one that this this happened to. So in 2020, the, the war happened. Uh, I got involved, and in, obviously, like everyone here, got involved in whether it's rallies, whether it's you know, uh, trying to support the situation. And uh, at that time, I was in the midst of this first startup uh, that I mentioned. And the first startup, if it was have succeeded, would have had very little connection to Armenia. So actually, the trigger to our, like Armenia triggered me leaving the first startup. Wow. Because I realized I wanted to have, if I do something, I want to have the flexibility of having a connection of that business to Armenia and it would not have been an option with first, even though I was a co-founder, but there's three co-founders, the, the developer base was already in Poland. Um, so, so that's the original question to, to, uh, you know, this connection to Armenia. I obviously go to Armenia also like every year, close to every year. So I still have family there. So cousins, uncles, etc. And um, in 2020, I actually reached out. I said, like economically, I mean, very naive statement, but you know, it makes sense for me to have a very good machine learning ecosystem because you know, at least we say you know, we're very good in mathematics. Uh, we don't have, you know, w w what can we export? Yes, we, we kind of tech was growing, but the most valuable asset right now is is like unicorn type of uh, startups that that are generating basically because of globalization because of scale are generating vast amounts of income and machine learning is at the core or automation is at the core of it so i reached out to, to people in armenia and that, that's actually how i met Vazgen the first time because uh, yeah. i was asking who's the best person for practical machine learning in armenia and was, all the sources somehow led to him uh and yeah uh, I can talk about that later if you want, but that's, that's kind of like the original point with Armenia. And then actually the name of the startup itself, which is hybrid, there's like three reasons it's called hybrid. It was like human AI and the hybrid combination of that. And that's how we are thinking about technology. But then uh, obviously high for Armenians has a significance. For me, it has a significance. For anyone else doesn't, but it doesn't matter. So, because yeah. it's spelled AJI. So, um, so actually, that that connection is in the name. So, no, that's very good. I mean, we're we're kind of lucky to get people like you back back here, and uh, kind of didn't know that. I'm not the only one. There's a lot of people I think like yeah. me who want to add value. Yeah, we we should do more pod podcasts because this this kind of stuff does not come across uh, in in general pitching sessions. Anyhow, uh, and and. Uh, Vazgen Hagobjanyan, uh, he's uh, uh, with uh, with SmartGate and Hero House and uh, with, with with the guys there. He's he's also the co-founder, as I understand it. To talk about, uh, you know, do share a bit more how the team came together. You mentioned a couple of words here, but uh, you know, how how has it developed? And you know, is it 
is it difficult to start something? Because a lot of times you, one hears that, you know, good teams are those that have been, you know, known each other for since kindergarten or whatever, right? Um, how, how easy is it to kind of uh, start cooperating with people that, you know, might not know since, you know, middle school? Mm. Um, so is this about Faskin or in general? No, how you guys kind of learned, uh, came together and, uh, you mm. know, does one need to have a relationship for 20 years for it to work out? Or is it, is it, you know, so I, I, yeah. so I mentioned like the anger. So the guy from, I wanted to have, let's say this startup with 12 years ago. So with him, it's obviously like a very long standing relationship. I know what he thinks, like how he reacts, like, you know, we know each other very well. Um, but doesn't mean that he was actually the ideal co-founder for me. Um, we actually talked about being co-founders, but you know, he, we both have to have the same risk profile to some degree. Like, you know, obviously some people, you know, for a long time could be very good team members, but doesn't make them necessarily very good co-founders. Uh, but at the same time, you, you know, I've had one unsuccessful, actually two unsuccessful co-founder relationships, but not toxic, but just like we, we split. So the first one was the first startup. And then I'm still in touch, great guys. Uh, but it didn't work out because the way we worked was quite different. And like, let's say I'm, I'm, if I say I'll do X, I'll always do X. And it was not necessarily the way that they operated. And I'm sure I have downsides that wouldn't work with them. So like, you kind of need to make sure that you're in sync completely around how you work. Um, and and the second co-founder actually for hybrid initially um so before i started hybrid for a year i was thinking around the problem and doing market research uh while i was working at the fintech the second uh, company that was i was running research for and uh so we had an agreement i had 20 percent of my time to do whatever i wanted so i spent that 20 percent got a prospective co-founder who was a very good friend from from london uh she kind of filled the gap in terms of like she did business development, like non, non-technical, like she, she knew everything, business development, sales, product management, all that stuff. But then there we, we realized there was a gap in terms of like, okay, we understand each other. We're very well from the work perspective, but, uh, I needed someone more technical as a co-founder. So I think it really depends on what you are doing. And then what happened is we had a split and she joined another friend of mine who's in Silicon Valley, second time founder. He needed someone non-technical. So I think it really is a very personal thing on what you need. So even though I'm technical, I'm not a backup person. So uh, when I came to Armenia, actually, maybe I can mention how I met Vazgen now properly. So I came in May to Armenia. I had split with my prospective co-founder and uh, we agreed that she would join my friend who needed her skill set more and I needed a more technical skill set. I met Vazgen for the first time in person. We had talked before on the phone. Um, he's the first person who actually got right away what I'm doing, which was like a miracle for me because like with my former co-founder, I would say like this and this, I would have to explain for an hour and I still have to explain for a long time to a lot of people what I'm doing. But it just happened that Vazgen had thought about the same problem for a very long time. So we had thought about it from slightly different angles, but when I said A and B, I didn't have to explain C and D. Uh, and sometimes he would even say E, which I hadn't thought about. So 
so that kind of like alignment and thinking was instantaneous so it was like a magical thing to kind of see um and he initially told me like you know what you don't need a co-founder you, you shouldn't get a co-founder um because co-founders are it's like a shortcut I mean, that's, that's his opinion, but and, you know, there's a logic in it. It's a shortcut where you might be a really absolutely tremendous person who, you know, kind of compliments you really well, but then you get to like a series A, series B. And then if you guys are not really in sync on core things, it's, it's an existential issue for the company because, and, and this has happened to Vazgen, uh, in his previous company where there was a co-founder split. Um, so, and he's seen that several times, I believe. Um, so there's a co-founder split and that actually threatens the company itself. So, and if, if it happens very early, like, you know, with me and my former, like Grace, this, this woman who was going to be the BD person, that's fine because you haven't raised anything. There's no stakes, but once it's stakes are in place and it's the wrong co-founder, then it's more expensive to get that split. Uh, so he was saying, don't get a co-founder, just get a first, you know, lead engineer. And several people had told me this as well. So my relationship with Vaskin did not start as a co-founder. It actually started the antithesis of it. as like, I don't need one. Uh, and he said, I'll just, I really like the project. I'll help you find a lead engineer who can architect it for you. And I stayed, I was supposed to stay two months in Armenia for uh, two, two weeks in Armenia for like a, a birthday, family birthday. And then I extended it for like two, six weeks. Uh, so we worked kind of together went back to London and came back in August. And that's where this conversation towards actually, okay, we work really well together. Let's try it out. Again, we're still not formally co-founders. We said, let's give it six months and see how we work together. And I, I would just recommend people do this as well. Like just try out like a trial period. And uh, you, yeah, I think you have to get to know the person personally as well. So, you know, I would spend time with him, his wife, he would spend time with me and my cousins on purpose. We would just like shortcut that personal connection thing. And then would, I would also recommend going to a country that's at war because it accelerates it further. Uh, so we spent quite a lot of time with the war situation in Armenia. Um, and you, you get to know people at a, at a deeper level, I think, when, when these kind of things happen. I'm, I'm joking, obviously, about the war thing. but. Um, I mean, no, I mean it's just... uh, yeah, um, stressful situations. Kind of uh, you know, people react uh, in certain ways and during stress, and I guess people get more more some get more motivated and so on. So yeah, it's a uh, but you you just see how how that person reacts yeah, to stress, exactly. and uh, like I have a I have a cousin who who says like their way of testing people is always to create conflict. You know that cousin, so. Um, you can guess who it is. It's one of the two. So uh, you create conflict yeah. and you figure out how how you resolve that conflict. And uh, so it's it's actually not a it's a it's a counterintuitive way, but it actually uh, if if everything is nice, you know you you have no idea what what's going to happen like when when, when shit hits the fan. Yeah, I have a. I have actually. I, I'm. I'm kind of recognizing that situation, but I also have a an angel. We have an angel investor in our in the club that uh, he can be really, really mean to founders, and uh, and I think that's on purpose 
because that way you kind of see how they react. Uh, because if they react kind of angrily and, you know, negatively and so on, uh, you kind of get a sense how that maybe, that's my thinking, I haven't double checked this with him, uh, because that way you kind of get an understanding how those people behave in situations that are difficult. Mm. Uh, and it's kind of related to what you said. So I was thinking, why, why do you need to be that kind of <laughs> nasty to these uh, mm. poor, you know, people going through a lot of stuff already? But anyhow, um, but I, I think, so I think we all have like our veneer and you, you want to see yeah. the person outside of that veneer, right? So. Yeah, exactly. But I think that's a good idea what you described, you know, giving it some time. And uh, I also heard... But I think you have to be very intense in the relationship. Like if you, if you, unless you know that person for you know a long time, like just do a lot of personal, get to know each other really personally, I think is, is something I would recommend. Yeah, I think I read somewhere that if you want to build trust, uh, try to share as much information as possible and, you know, just maximum information because yeah. that information comes across through years. So if you share as much as possible in a short period of time, they kind of get mm. a shortcut through all those years, right? But so it's a bit more, it's more or less what we, you kind of mentioned yeah. here. But let's move on here so that we don't kind of uh, get get uh, stuck on this. Um, let's talk about the product, obviously, hybrid. Um, you know, uh, it's uh, I think I think I'm getting what it's about. Uh, but uh, it's you know, do do describe this uh, <laughs> as as simply as possible. You know, with, with all the background you mentioned, I mean, it's um, obviously you know, it's not for everyone to understand. But you know, oh, it's. Uh... It's actually not a technical product per se, but the issue is it's, it's a very wide scoping product and there's like 10 different ways of describing it. Um, I'll, let me try to put it this way. The ultimate synthesis of this product should be like a pers personal virtual assistant. But when, when if we say we're building a virtual assistant, it's, it's a terrible thing to say because everyone's building a virtual assistant. Now, to truly build a virtual assistant, you need to actually build something that captures, basically captures your digital interaction and does it in a way that, that is sensible to you. That makes sense. So that your digital interaction is several forms. So let's, let's just take your, your, your laptop, you know, things you browse, your browsing history, and then the communications you have. Just you know, those two aspects. And that's what we focus on. So browsing history, communication history. Um, and the people you talk to, kind of the, the network you have. Um, so we're, if you, if you think of your digital data from that perspective, right now it's kind of sitting in your laptop or in, rather in Google's servers, because you probably have cleared your cache and cookies. So it's sitting there and you are not really benefiting from it, except for services that get thrown to you in a platform like Google, Facebook, whatnot, and also in ads that get sent to you. So right now, the biggest product market value of your data is targeting you for e-commerce. Now, our premise is, or the, the vision is, A, you should own the data, and B, you should make use of that data for, for things like improve, improving your productivity and a lot of other things, like your learning, and making things better for you in general. So getting you into a flow state, uh, for example. And so that when I, when I talk about this, like how do you make your data actionable? It's, you know, people will picture different things. So let me make it very concrete with like two use cases. So use case number one, 
is your conversations and people you talk to. So right now I'm fundraising and I have, I don't know, maybe like a hundred people I've talked to before in terms of fundraising, I don't know, finance, whatnot. I will not remember who those hundred are unless I have like a very well-defined CRM that's manually been curated. So what I did like recently, I went through the 2000 something connections on LinkedIn, literally. And then like, oh, this person changed to a VC, relevant. And like, so there's like a very manual process of these are the people I have in my network and these are the people I should probably reach out to. Now, you don't want someone to actually spend time going through 2000 contacts. What you want is you want the system to know you've had a conversation with this person about a similar context to finance three months ago. Uh, and it should probably ping you, you know, why don't you have a conversation now? Because you care about this context. So the system should understand what context you're in by your active input saying that I'm fundraising. It should know the previous conversations you've had. So understand your network and which ones are kind of labeled relevant to that context and understand that you might not have had certain conversation that you, you could have had because you just haven't had any contact with them in, in a long time and just ping you. It's a very simple use case. The, the, the only automation there is just tagging people to specific contexts and figuring out that you haven't talked to them in a while. Um, so that's you know one very basic use case of we're not leveraging the data that we could have um, at our disposal. And the second use case is more around browsing data. So uh, in the same way that you would have to manually curate this like list of contacts, uh, right now you have a lot of productivity tools that you can try to use to manually curate websites you visited that were useful to you in certain contexts. And what we want to do is we want to build a framework for you to say, you know what, this is important to me. Somehow specify the context why this is important to me and then leave it to the system to resurface that information when you're in a similar context. Um, and again, similar context has to be inferred from what you're looking at now and maybe some input you can have directly to the system. So it's, am I describing that the broad thing well enough or not? No, I think, uh, I, th I think that's, I think it makes a lot of sense. I think, uh, yeah. So I get the idea that that's not the commercial use case, by the way, because yeah. building that is very difficult. Building that is very difficult because it's a B2C tool that B2C tools are notoriously difficult to fundraise for and finance because you're, you're not going to get to profitability until you get a lot of features that make a lot of value, value to your customers. And we don't want, we want to be very data private. We don't want to own data. So we're not going to do ad tech. So for us, um, for a year, I was thinking about this problem and like, how can you actually find a commercially viable way to build this product? And the commercially viable way is this, you know, the pitch that I've given around productivity on onboarding, because you could use people's digital footprint, like the things that people visit on their personal work sessions to connect information across platforms for companies and companies possibly suffer from the problem of too many platforms, too much information, and a lot of turnover of people. So context around where information is leaves. Yeah. So we're we're catering for that use case as the first commercial direction. Yeah. So 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 it is a B2C and you know um how much research did what was was it was there 
before you kind of uh, decided to kind of pursue this? I mean, I'm thinking, I don't know, did you talk to customers? How much market research was yeah. done? Uh, you know, to gauge interest. Sometimes it makes sense to talk to people about this, whether this makes sense. Sometimes, you know, you just, I'm guessing this is so transformative that people will just, you know, not, uh, it's very difficult. It would be very difficult to do customer surveys on this type of, type of a solution, right? So that's good. So for a year with my former co-founder, like with Grace, uh, we we did literally a year of, like, as I said, 20, I had about 20% of my time plus weekends um, to survey various incarnations of think of like okay you want to conquer a continent or you want to get into a continent and you need to pick a beach where you need to go in so we're like looking at different beaches and that's that's where it's important that you're you and your co-founder are on the same uh on the same uh wavelength of what the continent is because then you know if you're picking beaches all the time it seems like a pivot all the time so we tried for a year looking at different entry points into this problem um but then in april when i fully quit my my last job uh and met Vazgen, we decided um like Vazgen had ideas around hr because he's worked with hr in his previous uh startup and he said you know let's let's really focus on the commercial problems for companies and hone in on that so we did three months of just full-time like two three people uh, talking to all of the senior C-level people and, and team leads that we can get our you know hands on in terms of first level of connection. Obviously, Vasquez's network was very helpful. My own network, I've, I've been quite social before, so I was kept in touch. So we had yeah like dozens and dozens of team leads we spoke to about their problems, and um, that culminated in uh, good enough. Let's say these are not UX calls of like validation, but these are literally calls we're doing about what are your biggest problems in X. So we're not confirming that this is their problem. We just literally let them say their, you know, what's their first problem, second problem, et cetera. Um, and it's it's a very good uh way to gauge whether your hypothesis of this is the biggest problem is actually the biggest. Don't mention the biggest problem. Just check if people say this is their biggest problem without without prompting it. And that's when we got that, you know repetitively people were talking about onboarding as a problem and connecting information across systems as a problem we said okay that's that's something we can really hone in on okay so what what uh, what is the beach that, i mean if, if you're not revealing too much competitive info what, what's the which one is the beachhead is this the hr it's uh so right now yeah like we we, we picked uh hr and also like the second basically it's like the same technology can be repurposed in three different ways that, that we're doing. One is purely B2C. So that's just a go-to-market strategy that we can discuss later. That's for educational purposes. We're build, building these graphs to get people to experience how it would be to capture information and consume it. But then the commercial use cases are one is onboarding. So just enabling HR and team leads to connect information, let's say gathering information, make use of their own digital footprint as they're doing this to kind of combine, okay, this is a graph, this is the landscape of onboarding information I have, help them connect the flow of, you know, this is what this kind of profile should explore the information. Uh, so again, there's a big UI component in terms of focusing on the usability of that. And no ML involved here, yeah, almost no ML, like no machine learning involved. 
And then on the other side, like how does the person who, who gets the information, who just joined the company, uh, what's their ideal flow to learn on the job? So we want to flip from like the traditional framework of oh, logging to this company's platform to learn about XYZ to, well, you're already on the browser. We'll build you a browser extension. This will this thing will be on the side and it will pick up you know the where you are. It will figure out, okay, you've been on this website. You should also look at these things because that's part of the flow. And to our knowledge, there's not really any such onboarding type of tools available in the market. So it's a long sales cycle. That's the downside for onboarding and HR are not the best kind of uh, commercial entities to deal with. Um, again, there's a second, uh, and you always want to have like, okay, we have this premise, but we all want to have a second application as well uh, that we can test out with a very similar correlated technology. I'm not sure I'll have time to go through that second uh, thing, but it's, yeah. Um, yeah. You want to have several, like plan A, plan B, plan C. So, and you want to have minimal um, friction for going from plan, plan A not working to plan B by just saying, oh, we can repurpose this technology very quickly to do plan B. Yeah. So how do you so how do you deal with so I'm I'm guessing with this with regard to the fundraising uh, kind of stuff that's always fun, right? Uh, how yeah. do you deal with people? <laughs> How do you deal with people that are, I don't know, are well willing, have a lot of goodwill, want to help out, but just come from a different domain, like, I don't know, retail, whatever it might be, right? Uh, how, do, how do you talk to these people and do, any advice to others that might have products that are really, really yeah. uh, sophisticated, deep tech? I think, yeah. I think if it was like three years ago, um, people would have thrown money at, at things like this because. You know, you probably experience this yourself. Like right now, the landscape is is really not great for fundraising. Any money that goes, well, I don't know, most of the money that goes into VC right now is defensive investments, making sure that the the investments that are made stay alive. There are obviously still, you know, pre-seed investments into new companies, but uh, I have like, again, I don't have as much experience, so I don't want to give advice on the things, but the at least the, the little experience I've had and what I've heard is, let's say if you have something that is specific and you don't have traction, you don't have a product. And for us, the biggest thing is the team, let's say, because it's a very strong team. And the you know, it's, it's obviously a very wide scoping vision, so it's not a very niche product. Um, but the, the investor would like, just target investors that understand what you're doing. I think that's, otherwise you're going to waste your time. And I think yeah. that's what I'm what I'm figuring out. And you know, there's other so sources of funding as well you can get. So for us, you know, it comes through various kind of consulting things that bring an income as long as it doesn't detract the main team working on on the, on the product. But you know, there's you can be creative around the funding. Uh, but if you just want purely investment pre-seed pre-product, you can either like have to give in on the valuation. Or you're gonna to have to find someone who really understands the product because then they can figure out if you're the right person to do that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. And kind of uh, my next question is about you know how would you compare? Uh, I, I think you're in London right now, and there's there's a lot of tra uh, traveling. It seems back and forth. So what's uh, how would you compare to like the London ecosystem to Armenia to Armenia's? Uh, any yeah. any no. perceptions? 
Yeah, of course. Um, I feel like actually Armenia is really inconsistent to start. Uh, I actually found that things happen. Maybe it was Vazgen and like the fact that he knows everyone, but I think Armenia is a very small and ecosystem. So you're going to find a lot of, let's say if, if your company especially is doing something that you can validate, you know, not with like very, very niche players, but you know, for us, let's say it's SaaS. So there's a lot of software companies that are starting out in Armenia. The network is very small and you can quickly do a lot of market research um, with people in Armenia. In London, and guessing the same in the US, maybe it's slightly different in California because it might still be very kind of tribal, but it's a much broader field. So you can have a lot more opportunities and that's what I'm seeing right now. But it's actually, yeah, so it's good to start in Armenia and then go to validate, let's say your, or further validate your assumptions and also fundraise all the outside. And also your clientele will be outside. Uh, so much more diversity outside, but much more ease of access in Armenia, I feel. That's, that's the way I would yeah. describe yeah, it. Yeah, it is a fairly close-knit uh, close knit ecosystem. Um, and what about the level of development? Is there, is there a lot of things that you guys have over there that we're just too far behind? Development in what sense? Uh, sophistication, services provided by the ecosystem, I don't know, support. Uh, depends on the country, I think. Uh, in the UK, there's a fair amount of uh, startup support, but in not like I feel like Armenia is like done really well. Um, there are a few issues with Armenia, I would say, but to start, as I said, like, I think as a, like a trampoline, it's a very good place. Yeah. Um, there are accelerators obviously here as well, but Armenia seems to have, I don't know, Hero House and a few other places where you can get support. And especially now, you also have a lot of talent that came obviously from the war situation. Uh, so you can connect. There's there's a lot of tech talent, like in a, a very concentrated kind of amount of tech talent in central Europe, especially. So yeah. um, so it, I think it's good to yeah make use of the Armenian ecosystem, but then also check out what's outside afterwards. Yeah, cool. Uh, so in order not to blow up the kind of schedule too much here, uh, what's the longer what's the longer term vision for hybrid? I mean, wh where do you guys want to go? How you know? How are you going to change the world, basically? <laughs> There's a lot of steps to changing the world. But, uh, the, I, like, well, that's the what ideal... we're here for, right? <laughs> yeah. The ideal situation is like, um, like um, I guess, this. how do you basically decentralize uh, how data... I started with this, like, you know, the three tenets, right? Uh, like, make people own their data on their device. So we're very much keen on having things on your device as a first source of your data generation. Um, the second thing is have humans have it, basically keep the agency with humans. So there's like different terms like human in the loop and actually human machine teaming and like uh, human centric. Uh, so basically you should know why a recommendation is made to you and you should have a way to provide an input to change that recommendation if it doesn't make sense. So you want to be kind of the top level controller for the system. Um, and then the third thing is like, you know, how can you derive benefit from data beyond just ad tech? And this could lead into the tree. Well, there's various directions, but one could think of almost like a data brokerage. Like how can you enable people to collect their data and almost like sell it, swap it and whatnot in a way that data is already, you know, uh, kind of well-structured and meaningful. So that 
those are kind of like the, the directions we would kind of see as, yeah. as quite important. Well, good. And and with regard to kind of the business business sense and you know building a business, any kind of particular books or you know material and resources you would recommend from kind of um, general entrepreneurs? Yeah, you sent me the questions before I actually had. Uh, so I would say there's like three broad categories of books that I would split into. I'll give maybe one of each. So there's like the standard category of books of like how to do a startup. And probably everyone kind of like this is um, like the zero to ones and all that stuff that uh, is written. The, the latest one that I found useful was this called Running Lean uh, by Ash Moria. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. And the, the point with these books is you're going to read them and you're going to forget about them and stuff. If you read it and don't apply it, it's useless. Um, so just buy the book at for the stage you're in. So let's say if you I've heard that before issue, too, yeah. Good. So I mean, I've literally have read half the book because the other half is about a stage where not like we're not in the the the, the stage they're describing. So I'm not gonna read it until like uh we get to that stage. And the other kind of books are more about uh organization, like what I mean if you care about the kind of organization you want to create, there's one really kind of like thought-provoking book called uh, Reinventing Organizations um, by Frederick Laloux, L-A-L-O-U-X. Um, so, it's, I mean, Reinventing Organizations is the first two words, and then there's like a whole phrase after the title, I don't remember. Um, but that is highly recommended in terms of like how organizations are starting to function as more decentralized entities and how people want to work, basically. Um, and then the final strand of books is more about like you know, domain type of stuff that, I mean, for me, it's it's how do people work? How, And this is not because I want to read it because uh, I'm in that startup. In fact, I started the startup because I was interested in that topic. So there's this book called Finding Flow. It's a very classical book by Mihaly it's like Chik Shen T Mihaly or something. But if you if you Google finding flow and first names author starts with uh basically first names first first say author's first name is Mihaly, you'll find it. It's like uh, an amazing, like an, it's an absolute classic in terms of like uh, the this the psychology of flow. So he was the first person to study it. And it's about how do we humans actually find what are called happiness and happiness happens when you're kind of in, you feel you're progressing and learning and talks about that psychology and uh i mean it's very relevant to our startup because we're talking about productivity and learning so i would say that those are the three i would mention interesting i mean yeah the the, the last one is uh definitely um i think i'll try to pick it up um so many thanks, uh, Tigran, but I'll, I'll have one final question. And, and yeah, of course. We'll, we'll let each other go. Uh, so this this is with regard to kind of, it is a people business. It is a kind of a network business. Uh, you know, social <laughs> skills and stuff is, is important here. Uh, is there anything you've seen like that other people uh, kind of apply? So social skills that you kind of feel uh, were impressed by with other folks that, you know, uh, you would like to share? In terms of... Uh, you in terms of how, how yeah. skills? No, I mean, what social skills are there that you kind of have have seen other people's use? Whether it's empathy, whether it's you know minor things, just complimenting folks when they're you know yeah. see something they like. You know, there's a lot of bunch of stuff yeah. like this that you kind of 
that is very, very useful, but it's not, you rarely read it in books, right? Yes. So I would say, number one, like whatever social skill it is, I mean, you can admire it, but if it's not natural to you, it's not going to work. Probably like, I, I don't like the, you know, look this way, body language that way, but it has to be, you mentioned empathy, but it's more importantly, I think the, uh, this is something I've tried to hone myself, but maybe it's, it's natural, like try to see the potential in everyone. And then if, if that makes sense. So if you do, then you're going to be more keen to keep in touch and like see things from their perspective. So in terms of business, actually, um, so again, like a mentor of mine, like he, he always goes into a negotiation. There's a, a people who negotiate, let's say, based on, okay, I want to do this and I'll try to find the best way to get that. But then the best negotiators, for example, and in general, people are like, when you make a suggestion, you know, there's like the person feels like they came winning out of the suggestions, but you got what you wanted. But for that, you need to figure out what they want. So it's, it's that empathy from that perspective, like trying to figure out what the other person wants. Uh, but I think it has to start from genuine empathy. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, um, no, that makes sense. Yeah, I've heard, I have, I've heard that. Well. I mean, that, that resonates with me, but I'm sure there's other skill sets that resonate with other people. No, yeah, that, no, no, that, that, uh, that, that makes a lot of sense. Cool. That's it. Yeah. So we went a bit over time. Yeah, we did, we did, but you know, a lot of, a lot of fun. Um, you know, very nice talking to you. Uh, many things. I think, uh, I think you have uh, something very good going and, uh, uh, with a team like that, I'm sure there'll be something really strong coming out. Um, so hopefully there'll be traction that we'll hear about, uh, more of us uh, soon. So thanks a lot once again. Thanks, uh, Samson John. And also thanks to you guys at ICA, because I think you guys are doing a really good job and supporting the ecosystem. So yeah, thanks a lot. Can I can I throw some praise to you as well? <laughs> no, that's enough. That would be too much. It's it's <laughs> unaccounted for. <laughs> I'll see you later. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Samson.